Jason here. Just want to say it was great to hear Amy on the podcast again. I always think podcasts are probably better when you have people talking back and forth as opposed to just one person talking. Um, and, and you guys obviously pair off against each other, or not against each other, but you, you know, pair together really well. So very enjoyable listening to you banner back and forth. And I will talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. Well, you all know that was Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast kind of talking about or calling in about the uh, Great Unboxing episode part two. And yeah, it was really fun to open the boxes with Amy. Yeah, she uh, definitely, since I only got one arm right now, um, that it's helpful. She holds the boxes, opens the books so I can we can talk about them. And it's really, and, you know, and I'm, we're probably going to do it again. Because I'm getting more and more boxes because I keep ordering stuff. Or actually, a lot. sometimes a lot of this is like Kickstarter that some, I don't even remember if they're done or not. Which I'm sure you have that issue too. And many of my um, many of my listeners probably uh, get into that as well. So, so yeah, I think that's a great question um, to ask then. Collecting versus playing. Like what percentage... Of what you've collected have you played it's probably pretty small i would imagine unless you're very good at just buying only what you want to play so it'd really be great to hear feedback on that and what you guys think that could be a whole show in and of itself so in this show we got more calls from jason connerly the rest of them will be responding to broken arm gaming which seems to have been a really uh, fun and well-received episode so thank you all listeners for checking that out um, and then we have a call from um, M.W. Lewis as well to talk about his broken arm experiences, which is uh, interesting and kind of fun to hear from M.W. So uh, sit back and enjoy. And then after that, I'll talk about um, preparation for an upcoming Traveler game that I'm going to be running and I'm going to be using the Mongoose Traveler uh, second edition version. It players have the players have made their characters. They have a ship, and I have an idea of what I want to do for the first adventure, and kind of where and how I want to run the campaign. So I'll talk about that as well. So anyway, um, again, Jason and MW, thank you for the calls, listeners. Thank you for listening. And let's get to it. Well, I'm on my way. I don't know where I'm going. I'm on my way. I'm taking my time, but I don't know where. Goodbye to Rose and the Queen of Corona. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Hey Carl, Jason here. Just want to say I'm listening to Broken Arm Gaming and just want to respond to your response to my call. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, really quickly, it you, you know, it's okay that you had to drop out of Playdom Fantasy. Sometimes having to do play-by-post plus live-action games is too much, and, and you've got a lot of games going on, which is really cool, so no, no, no hard feelings there. As far as the 
you talk about Hyperborea. I, I'm kind of curious, though, because you talk about how you want to run the adventures like in the city with the arena, but you're worried about Jeff's book coming out for it and that ruining it. You don't have to... I, I guess I don't understand the mindset there. You don't have to use the publisher's thoughts on an area in your home campaign. You, you, you know, you don't have to wait for him to publish that city book for you to run adventures in that city. You can make up your own thing and just disregard the city book when it comes out. And, and the same thing with what the product he's working on now. You know, people don't have to use that. So I, I, I guess I don't understand the need to be a slave to the creator's vision of a, a, of a world. Um, and I think most players, at least the people we play with, are pretty understanding of that. They don't run out buy a new product and say, you have to do it this way because it's written in the book. At least in the games of yours I've been in, the players haven't been that way. So I'm kind of curious why you feel the need to be a slave to Jeff's vision of Hyperborea as opposed to making Carl's vision of Hyperborea. So, But let me get back to listen to the show because I want to hear Joe's call. I'll stop right there. And yeah, I, you're right. Thank you for the encouragement. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you have, and maybe it's only in sort of organized play or convention play, but you can run into those people who, well, that's not canon in my realms, Greyhawk, Kryn, so I don't think that's right. And you probably would have that less so in Hyperborea, Although there are, might be some people who are like, have read the whole, you know, player's book and the GM's book. And they're like, well, you know, in Port Zangarius, they do X and you're not doing X in Port Zangarius or Cromarium or any Port Greeley. You know, there's a certain type of uh, human that lives in Port Greeley. So maybe, and a lot of people have played some of those adventures and I don't know, but ultimately you're right. It is your game and your creativity with you and your players at the table. And hey, uh, I guess the alternative is to talk to uh, Jeff and Joe Salvador and try to make our official Port Zangarius book. I don't know. That could be pretty fun. Or Port, usually though, what I think is kind of cool and I like this kind of format and style of, of what uh, Northwind Games Hyperborea does is they'll write an adventure and have a little gazetteer about area around the adventure, i.e. Port Greeley, or there's some little get, mini gazetteer um, for Cromarium and Rats in the Walls and the other adventure and that, uh, that um, dual compilation or whatever. So, um, yeah, anyway... You got some more calls and some more things to say, but I am leaning towards agreeing with you, except, uh, you know, what do you do when you do have that kind of player that says, well, not in my Hyperborea or not in my realms? Um, I guess you got to jump back to, well, I guess we're going to do only homebrew. Anyway, uh, more calls, more calls from Jason. Okay, Carl, listen to the rest of Broken Arm Gaming. Very cool. Quick question about your duet game with Amy for Cthulhu Confidential. Did you guys use the cards? I know they have different cards that they supply, and if you have a PDF, you, you would add to print them off yourself. But they have the card decks and all, and they expect you to have specific cards for specific challenges. Did you guys use that mechanic? Just, I'm just curious about that because, I, like I said, I haven't played it. I've read it. 
it, it definitely seems like a great way to do, do it gaming, and Amy seems to have really enjoyed it, so that's really cool. As far as your question, well, let, let's back up, right? So as far as uh, Reaver goes, it's interesting that, you know, you talk about, you got the reference from WoW, so apparently the WoW folks had read Bram Stoker's Dracula incorporated that in, which is kind of cool. Um, and it's kind of cool how different myths and things circulate through, you know, they'll, they'll get in certain places and then weave into other places. That's kind of neat. With, with Fallout, of course, you, you know, ICRPG has been doing random loot tables for years and you do with different kind, you know, shoddy loot and good loot, and different kinds of loot. So it's good to see them ripping that off. Nah, I'm kidding. I obviously Fallout's trying to, you know, the loot table thing did exist before with ICRPG, but it, it or uh, with tons of loot tables, because every ICRPG game and world has a bunch of loot tables. But it, it is cool that they're trying to emulate the feel of the video game for Fallout. So that's good. And I think any RPG based on a video game or another property should try to emulate that property, right? So, you know, with Alien, you have the stress mechanic and yada, yada, yada. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense and, and is a really smart way for them to do it. So I'm glad you guys are enjoying the Fallout game. And it'll be interesting to see if how they go with pre-gens or make their own characters, any of that kind of thing. Hostile? Yeah, I, I don't know. I had to, because of my schedule, I had to drop out of that game, sadly. I, but, or actually, I never made a character and never got to play it. But, yeah, Hostile seems interesting, but it sounds like everybody in the group really is more interested in getting Traveler and playing Traveler. So, and I know you've been excited to try to run Traveler for a long time, so it's really cool that you're going to get able to do actual Traveler. So that that's really neat, and I'm happy for you and happy for them that you're going to be able to get that to the table. Uh, let me leave another message, I think, because this is getting long. And that is the perfect place to pause and respond. And for Cthulhu Confidential, yes, I did use the cards. I cut them out. Well, Amy cut them out because it's hard to cut with my left hand because I'm not ambidextrous, unfortunately, and my hand is laid up. But we cut them out, and then I gave her the problems or edges when they came up. But it was kind of, and I know there's definitely set ones for the adventures. And I think as you progress through the adventure, though, there was like a situation that came up because, you know, Amy always goes off the rails where I felt that she had to do a challenge and the challenge failed. So there was a setback, therefore problem. So then I made up a problem um, that would ha occur because of that setback. So um, I think uh, I think the problem was notice of the authorities. So if that card had been held by the end of the adventure, then she would have been visited by the authorities for something that her character did, or Phyllis Oakley, the character she played, would be visited by the authorities for something that she did. But then she also got an edge um, towards the end of the adventure near the conclusion where it said, get rid of any one problem on your deck, in your deck, and she was able to get rid of that problem. So miraculously, because she stared into the void and into the eyes of spoiler um that problem went away which i thought was really cool i hope we to get to do um that another phyllis oakley tale and then maybe i mean my goal is to really figure out how to do these cthulhu confidential to create an adventure for cthulhu confidential based on you know amy's interpretation of phyllis oakley which i think is then going to be really fun and then um and then she has keiko kane 
um, which we've done like dual. It'd be fun. I mean, I don't know if you talked to her or asked her about comparing dual gaming in traditional Call of Cthulhu, well, seventh edition Call of Cthulhu versus in Gumshoe, uh, trailer, you know, Gumshoe Cthulhu Confidential. Cause I, I hope you asked her that question. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but we've done dual gaming in both, but Keiko Kane, you know, Hey, um, if we get that Sunday game going, then maybe, um, you know, you'll get your character. will get to meet Keiko Kane. So, um, so yeah, that pretty cool. And what else did you come to? Oh, Fallout. So Fallout, I, yeah, I, I definitely, my friends who play, I've never played a Fallout one, but my friends who play say, yes, I love it. They love it. They love how it emulates the, uh, the video game. It even like the, uh, momentum and threat tokens are, you know, bottle caps. So <laughs> you could use them also for currency if you needed to, but we've been using them for momentum and threat. Um, and they even like when they get like a, like a Topo Chico or a Mexican Coke, they've been keeping the bottle caps. And I think I threw it in that if we, if you bring me a Mexican Coke bottle cap or Topo Chico, you get an extra momentum or a momentum to start the game, which I think is just kind of fun and incentivizing for the players to be engaged. So, um, so we're really enjoying Fallout. And I do like that incarnation of the 2D20 system for Modifius. Um, I think it's a good balance of uh, granularity and narrative um, narrative uh, play uh, so uh, and the players are definitely enjoying it and I've heard from other people who play it they're like oh yeah and we're comparing notes and their experience with play and um, it's it seems generally pretty well received I hope they come up with more products um, I think they've been focusing well they, they've only done the starter set and the core book and then Modifius loves their board game so they have like a board game thing out so hopefully that doesn't diminish from like you know and I don't necessarily, I feel like we don't, they give you all the tools in the, in the book to do your own kind of thing. Um, but I hope they give us like a, some sort of like world book or an overview of the wasteland, but I guess I have so much post-apocalyptic stuff, right? That could figure that out. I am sure I just need the right adversaries. I also love that they have giant naked mole rats in the game and statted out, which is kind of fun. And uh, yeah, so I think that's covered everything. Traveler, I will be talking about that. Uh, oh, you mentioned Hostel and Traveler, and I will be talking about that a little later. But um, it definitely seems that the players are more engaged in this in, in the Traveler. Um, after they made their characters, there's so much conversation right now in the Discord, which is really encouraging for me and encourages me to prep and, and ask questions and take care of a lot of stuff, hopefully on the Discord before we get to play. I've actually already read the first adventure I'm going to run and given them the adventure hook. So hopefully they take it and run with it. And um, yeah. All right. Next call. Okay. I'm back. Twilight 2000. Yeah. Twilight 2000 was a lot of fun. I, again, because work, I had to drop out of that game. But that was a really cool game. And I'm glad that campaign's been going. I mean, that's maybe your, your longest running current campaign, right? The, the one you're currently running? Well, I don't know. Maybe some of your home group games have run longer. But the Twilight 2000 is a really neat game. I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. I, I really did enjoy playing in that game. As far as having a bunch of NPCs, I I don't know. I mean, you, you know, I played D&D in the 80s and stuff like you did. And hirelings and, and all are part of the game. So it doesn't seem that weird to me to have a bunch of NPCs that you're working with. I don't mind that personally. I guess people used to new games are, aren't 
is into that because they just want the PC party. And it's not so fair to say new games, is it? Because did, did RuneQuest really push Henchman Hirelings? I know Tunnels and Trolls didn't really. So, yeah, not a lot of the older games, old school games, didn't really have a bunch of Henchman Hirelings either. Maybe that's more of a D&D-esque thing. I don't, well, also, like Ars Magica, you know. But, yeah, you could definitely do a true play thing if you flushed out a couple of the NPCs, and, and then they could jump between. Like you say, if you sent one group to go after the Pope, but if they always want to play the same character and they don't want to mix characters, I can see where that would be a, you know, downer. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess you need to kind of cater to the group that's playing the game a little bit. So if the current group isn't into having the the henchmen and the hirelings and, or troop play, then you kind of got to cater to that if you want to keep that group. But, yeah, I don't see any issue with that at all. And as far as the scenarios, I'm glad you're getting to run through the scenarios that, that you've always wanted to run with Twilight 2000. That's really cool. And I think that's all I had to say. So hopefully I'll be able to get back in some of your, your games, probably the sat weekend morning games are the ones that are most realistic for me to get back in. But hopefully at some point I'll be able to do that. And take care of yourself, and I will talk to you soon. I'm glad surgery came out okay. And, yeah, I hope your wrist your heals up quick because it's no fun recovering from surgery. So take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you soon. Oh, thank you again for that call, Jason. And I guess your call prompts another excuse to give a recap of last night's Twilight 2000 game. So they continue down the Vistula, and they just passed a bridge over the Vistula, there, the, Vis the Vistula River, and there was a discussion on what to do about it. Um, they wanted to make it, it was kind of, it seemed like it would be a problem if they left it because eventually it would fall and it'd be an uncontrolled destruction of it. So what they did is they uh, they have a, they don't have a demolitions expert, but they did have dynamite and they were able to rig the bridge and blow it up in a controlled manner. So it fell out away from the river and against like the, uh, the cliffs along the river. So it would not cause like an issue um, passing, passing by on the way back. And they did it at night, and I rolled. I mean, I was rolling. So it's very interesting the way um, and I, what I like about Twilight Two Thousand in general is a lot of the play is determined by random encounters and random rolls. So last time I rolled like a, they got into a snag and they had to stop and fix the the screw, um, the starboard screw or port screw on on the Vistula Queen. Um, and I just, even with the big explosion, and and I guess uh, definitely, if there are anyone around, they could hear it. There was no encounter. You just roll randomly. You know, you, you put in a bonus or something, or, or you know, if there's a mishap, roll twice on the random encounter and nothing. So uh, there's no no one responded to it. They did it at night, which I thought was a great thing. Um, it worked. I think they they. I mean, I had them roll for so the. The person, the NPC set the charges, and I had each player roll for each of the four charges that were set, and they rolled all rolled really well. I think each player rolled at least two successes, and one player rolled like four successes, like a 10 and a 12. So um, it, was, it was a very well done, well executed, controlled uh, demolition of the, the broken part of the, the bridge, which is if you're 
keeping up. It's the north side of the bridge um, there over the vis over the Vistula near the I think of the Waklaw River or something like that at that junction. Anyway, they continued on and they they kind of saw some villages. They found two abandoned villages and they stopped and explored them. Um, one village was pretty messed. They saw it was abandoned and uh, skeletons from a, a while ago. The other village was more interesting. They saw that the villagers resisted and there were several firefights as they tracked them back through the woods. They found a cache of ammo, spare parts, tools, and, and gasoline. So they, uh, they're like, wow, it's like treasure. So they collected all that. That did slow down their progress on the Vistula, but hey, you know, finding you know several thousand rounds of it said it in the in the treasure hoard here several thousand rounds of nine millimeter ammo uh hunting rifles with ammo and um about 40 gallons of of gas so so uh, not enough to fill up uh your suv or maybe you can fill up your um a couple of your suvs uh today but uh anyway none of their all their vehicles have been converted anyway but uh, hey gasoline is is up hot commodity and then they can you know take in a shift they can convert their vehicles back to gasoline in the pinch which makes it more a more efficient running um, i don't know how i don't think 40 gallons will get them a, a long way but but hey um so then the next place they passed they passed like a they, they decided to pass at night because they heard that there was some or at least old adam the captain of the vistula queen said um yeah i think it's like there's like, you know, marauders or stuff around here. So let's kind of go through on the evening. But they didn't want to, they, they had their lights on, but went on the far side of the river away from where they were passing. Um, they had their lights on so they wouldn't run into any problems on the river. So no shoals, no nothing, uh, no snags or whatever. Because there's like two encounter tables, just FYI for this adventure. It's like uh, what happens on the river while you're going through during a shift and then what happens on the shore and uh, there was like something on the shore. There was a couple of civilians fishing. One took off, presumably to warn or rat out their presence to the town and the marauders. And one just kind of stood there, watched them, and eventually like waved to them. Not that he could see anyone on the boat because of the lights, but just waved to them. Um, so then they went to another major uh, town, and this town kind of controlled a bridge across the Vistula, and there's and old Adam told me there was like a bridge tax and a bridge toll. And they, uh, they went on shore and interacted with, uh, with one of the, and this group, this town actually was a bit more organized. They learned from old Adam that there was a warlord, but he wasn't such a bad warlord as far as warlords go. Um, and, uh, and they also saw as they observed that, um, that the, they, and they learned that the platoon, that was kind of inspecting their boat because they had because basically you have to get a, a get papers to pass under the bridge without trouble so like a bridge hole so um so they went on shore there was a little incident between some of these they're they're all ukrainians so like it seemed like all the all the different you know patrol groups or uh the ormo for this town were segregated into you know ethnic groups so um they later learned out the exact disposition, but these Ukrainians did not take a liking to uh, poor Jonesy, so he took a, a rifle butt to the leg. Um, but but Kasha and the others kind of talked to them, 
and calmed them down. It seemed that Kasha learned as she treated them medically that they had been in a firefight recently, so they were kind of hot-headed and a little pissed off. But they they said, well, uh, they said, well, let's go talk to the warlord. Kasha proposed it, and the others agreed. And then because of like what I rolled, uh, the reaction for and and of course Kasha's persuasion roll, um, they took them. Um, they escorted them, and it was a little tense. But I think the interesting the incident with the with Jonesy, the, they like took his pistol, and that's why Jonesy kind of mouthed off, and they gave him the rifle butt. Um, but the other players stayed calm. They watched out, and they, I guess they totally forgot that the other players also had like a pistol, and and one character was carrying a, a hunting rifle, one of the hunting rifles that they had found. Because if they took it, who cares, right? So um, anyway, they meet. Uh, they meet the warlord. His his name is uh, Old Noosh, and which means the knife, in Polish apparently. And uh, they learn about the town. They also learn that he's he's like a has a not a rival warlord, but there's a the old warlord that he defected from is a bad dude. Has been raising villages, killing killing you know civilians up and down the river, and says, "Hey, can you help us with this guy?" And I was surprised here. The player said, "Yeah, we'll take him out." And then, and then Elnush says, "We just the five of you? Are you like superheroes, like Sergeant Rock?" I think that got a laugh. And um, like, no, no, we have more people. But they also like requested. Uh, they said, "Well, if you want anyone to help us, we'll ask these Ukrainians who just had a firefight with them and are kind of out for revenge uh, to help us out." So I think uh, they stopped there because now we got a plan. Uh, plan the assault on that uh, warlord's village and hopefully they take it back and get revenge for some of the civilians along this area of the Vistula. I guess they're a, a good uh, a good philanthropic group and that'll definitely make them points with the uh, old Noosh here uh, along the river uh, who's guarding, who's running a town that's guarding the key point uh, along the route. So so cool stuff. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of role playing, no really fights, um, but some problem solving and, and and like i said great role playing so that is uh twilight 2000 so i think jason thank you for that for that call what else did you mention um it is i think the you're right the home group is a little longer running by a few months because we started uh the enemy within a few months before i started twilight 2000 so that one is also about a year about a year and nine months versus a year and a half um so yeah now on to the next call by M.W. Lewis. Your boys and girls, and calling. Now don't look to us. Phony Beatlemania is bitten the dust. London calling. See, we ain't got no swing except for the rain and the crunch of thing. The ice is coming. The sun's zooming in. Meltdown expected. The wheat is going in. Engines stop on him. But I have no fear Cause London is drowning I live by the river To the imitation zone Forget it brother You can go in alone Carl, listen to your latest show um, This is MW Worlds of MW Lewis And i um, very sorry to hear you uh, Broke your arm Or your wrist Sounds terrible uh, just two years ago, this December, well, it's probably three years ago this December, now that now that I think about it, 
I broke the top of my arm where it, it the little ball goes into the joint of the shoulder and uh, uh, cracked it like a hard-boiled egg. Uh, it was very painful. Nothing they could do about it either. I just had to keep it immobile for two and a half months. Uh, I did it skiing. My uh, kid cut me off uh, and I, I went flying. But sound, I don't know exactly what happened. I'll have to catch up on some of your other shows, but I heard... Your latest podcast, it was very enjoyable. Uh, keep up the great work, but really just wanted to call to say, uh, I'm sorry to hear you you broke the bone. It's not not good at uh, at advanced ages to, to break things. Uh, so uh, hopefully you're not completely immobile uh, with the wrist and you're still able to get out and about and around. With, with my shoulder, it was very hard to even go running or anything like that because it, it just was painful. Um, to jostle it around there's no way to stabilize it but uh yeah keep up uh the good shows and I'm looking forward to your next one hey mw thanks for the well wishes and yeah i'm glad you're enjoying the show and i think um bummer that you man i hope your shoulder is okay i'm sure like what they told me is you're gonna have arthritis which i probably was gonna have anyway um but um yeah now it's definitely gonna happen they said like uh oh yeah the cartilage got messed destroyed and it broke in all these places and but i mean surgery went really well um it's still it's still sore i think i guess that's how i describe the pain it's like soreness more than anything but it's not like that in internal bone pain which is a very different type of pain but i can move my fingers it's all good and, uh, and yeah, um, I'm just bummed that I, it's my dominant hand, it's my right wrist. So everything is, you know, I can't grip, I can't carry things as well as I can. I can, I can grip now. I couldn't grip before prior to surgery. So, so that's all good. So again, thank you for the call and yeah, let's get into, uh, some traveler talk. So I'm running a traveler campaign and I'm not running, even though they're amazing products, love to read them. I'm not running like a big adventure pathy thing like Pirates of Jernax or um, Deep Night Revelations that have come out with Mongoose, the second edition. I'm just going to run a Behind the Claw Spinward Marches campaign. I have an initial adventure in mind and then we're just going to roll with it and see where um, the stars take us, I think. And we had a, I've had four players, dedicated players, and I think because of the nature of Traveler, hey, you know, we can have guest players or guest or intermittent players come on and have a guest star, right? As if you were on the love boat or, yeah, I don't know what the even the ship is going to be called. But um, you could do that, right? And I think it's pretty cool, but it sounds like I have four core players. And um, one of them is VJ Boyd of the Arcane Alienist, and he has created a scout. And his scout did a lot of service in, as a courier and had some really neat adventures along the way. He uh, did not survive. Well, he failed a survivor role, which in this incarnation doesn't necessarily kill you, but it can. He failed his survival role, but did not take enough injury to kill him. And um, it was like a weird 
way that he, he basically, he effectively, he lost his couriership and had to find his way back uh, to uh, Imperial space. But, and he is about 30, I think he did, uh, he's between 30 and 34 years old. I believe he did three terms and failed to survive the fourth term. And I think we'll just roll it like randomly uh, 1d4 to see um, when that mishap happened. Uh, I have another player who's playing a medic and also um, failed their survival role um, at the beginning of the fourth term. And they seem to mainly be a medic. Their path was uh, university. Then like after university training, had some really good years. And this player and the benefits, oh, um, BJ's character also rolled a scout ship as a benefit. And this character here who rolled the doctor, he also rolled a 25% uh, share in a lab ship. So has a lab ship at his disposal, which is a very interesting ship, but not a very combatant ship. So that kind of leans us towards maybe exploration. Um, anyway, I'll get to that. And oh, I, those two characters, or those two players, they kind of made their characters together. Um, I just kind of facilitated it, and we did it on the Roll20 so we can see everything. And I think that's a great way to do it, really, to make characters. So we have like a, a medic with a lab ship and um, a scout. The third player... He made, he wanted to become a Marine, but did not make it to the Academy. And when went, went up for the draft, was drafted by uh, the police, the planetary police forces. So he's a policeman and then became an agent effectively as a career and went from, you know, local police to, it seems like, uh, Imperial agent. Um, that's what it looks like. And had a really like outstanding career, was able to muster out um, on uh, uh, voluntarily, although the the term he wanted to really muster out before aging effects uh, kicked in, he rolled a, a, a natural 12 on the um, advancement roll. So they like, we're going to keep you. So he made it up to rank five assistant director for his uh, e uh, unit or Imperial agency. And uh, it was very interesting about this character. He's also from like a, like a border world, like a swords world, uh, swords world, Imperial uh, tension planet. I think he's from a planet called Biter, which is on that on that Imperial Swords World Frontier. Um, there's been tension between the small uh, potential client state called the Swords World and the massive Imperium, and the Swords World's caught between the Jodani Consulate, which are like the in a way the the boogeyman for the Imperium, and the uh, Third Imperium um, as it sticks into the Spinward Marches. So he has an interesting background, interesting history as well, and the last player um decided to and we, we talked to the other players and made sure it was cool because of the issues involved but wanted to try to roll a, a dog soldier and there's in the trojan reach which is um rimward of the spinward marches just to rimward there is a an Aslan polity called the glorious empire that uh, captures people, people and forces them into labor. So they practice slavery, which both the Aslan high rate and the Imperium do not like, nor do any of the client states or border states along the area where the Glorious Empire raids into to capture people. So this player wanted to be a, a dog soldier. And the first time out, 
his character died in character creation. So then we started over and then he went through like six terms and it, the good thing, see, I, we set this up separately, but some of the other players wanted to listen in, which we thought was cool. And I think that helped because like at six terms, so the player is like 42 years old, been beat up because it was a dog soldier and then became a laborer. Um, actually failed the survival role, but rolled the mishap that was patched up, given a, a cyber, you know, a combat implant and sent back in. So, so, you know, is, and the interest, the, I don't know. It's, a, it's I don't know if it's a bad thing. It's a design flaw. It's probably as intended because it's going to be a rare choice as a career for a player unless they really have a concept in mind. And mind you, this player, his first time around, the character died. So um, just rolled on, didn't survive. Rolled on the mishap. Your character dies in battle. So um, that was that was the result. So um, he went through it, became a laborer, rose up in the ranks as a laborer. And I think we decided, like, after six terms, because technically you really can't get out of that unless you roll a mishap where you don't survive, and then you don't survive, like, you're either left on a planet because the Glorious Empire or your family that owns you doesn't want you anymore, or you're, you know, captured by the Imperium, or you're captured by the Aslan Hyrate and, and freed. So, so I think we had a, some... Uh, there's this really cool mechanic in character creation where you can get an extra skill point for two if you make a connection with another player character. So one of the players suggested, well, I had this mission, you know, it's really important mission that we went into deep space and it kind of fits with, you know, a connection with uh, another character so we can have that connection. And we kind of helped this player, uh, player character escape. Um, you know, defect or, or what have you. So, so I think that was a good compromise because after six terms being 42, you start rolling on the aging table and it's like a 2d6 roll. That's a cool thing about Traveler. It does really take into consideration, you know, the effects of aging on your, on your body. Um, so you roll a 2d6 roll, subtract the number of terms that you've had, and then you roll it, you look on the table and unless you roll it positively, which means, you know, you can still go technically if you're lucky you know, 10 to 12 terms and never lose anything, that's not likely. Um, on average, you'll probably lose, you know, by your sixth term, you'll start losing, right? Sixth, seventh term, you'll start losing. And this uh, this player wasn't rolling super great and was losing a lot of stats, right? So you lose your physical stats. So I thought it was a good compromise. We have a really neat story and a neat hook. So uh, we're ready to go. Uh, they have a lab ship. And I, I what I am excited about and impressed with is the level of engagement by the players you know for this game right they're all contributing we're, we're trying to figure out connections we're trying to figure out there's there's something called a skill package that you can get um for the group to fill out any necessary skills they might need for their particular like for the vocation they want to do which i think they're leaning towards like an exploration ship and a medical ship um, they've modified the lab ship, you know, talking to me, of course, but they've modified the lab ship to get rid of, I mean, the lab ship as standard comes with like 20 labs, um, laboratory, you know, lab space, 20 units of lab space. And you really don't need that much. It has an inordinate number of staterooms. So they've modified it already to increase cargo, uh, put in a med bay, put in like a fuel processor. The cool thing about the lab ship is it comes with like a, 
auxiliary ship, a pinnace, uh, which, you know, has fuel scoops to get, you know, to go into gas giants and get that unrefined fuel and then process it. There's a lot of procedural to travel, which I think is really neat. It makes it to me like realistic. It feels sci-fi. You got to do these things that you see happening in a sci-fi tale. And, you know, you won't always, I think for me, um, I won't always have them go through it unless it's interesting. Right. Um, so, but the first time, definitely the first time they want to skim a gas giant, I'll have them do the rolls and then, you know, you got to wait and it's, it's time. It's time management. I think it's a really neat uh, way to, to play. And so one player is working on the ship another player is trying to get the skills coordinated, right? They, another player is looking for a sponsor because running a ship is really expensive. So we're really thinking of already, a, you know, a sort of a, not a meta game necessarily, but a, like a, a side game to try to figure out, are we going to get, look for sponsorship and how are we going to create, make a grant or get a loan or, uh, or, well, they already have a loan for the ship, but are we going to get like a imperial or like a university sponsorship or a government sponsorship or a corporation um, and apply for a grant or ask a corporation to help us out with our, our um, ship expenses. And then they already thinking, I think one player is already thinking the space trucking and you know what they can, how much cargo space they can create and then you know how they can trade and what they're going to trade. And I think they're leaning towards like um, archeological and geological investigation um, perhaps so they could be a really good, you could be hired to do planetary surveys, look for you know, ruins and ancient artifacts and stuff like that. A former civilizations. I think the, the player character who's a medic is an art, like is interested in art history, uh, interested in archeology, span uh, with a sort of a smattering of cybernetics since everyone seems to be cybernetically enhanced, uh, to mitigate some of that, um, stat loss. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Like I said, I've already run the first adventure. And the, the first adventure, actually, at the hook that I gave them. So the, the player who rolled up the scout um, got a scout ship. But I'm going to have the first adventure. They're going to go recover the potential scout ship that they can get. Which, you know, at first I was like, oh, man, two players got, got a ship. But, you know, um, so what if they build a small fleet? I think that's, that's good tactically. Um, I mean, the lab ship doesn't start with, with hard points and it's unprotected. Uh, the pinnace might, they might have enough money to put, you know, guns like a, some sort of gun on the, on the pinnace, but then the scout at least has, you know, has a gun, right? So, um, I think maybe they did put, they had enough money to put, I think they did have no, so the, uh, the lab ship does have two hard points. I think they did by selling all that lab equipment and converting that lab space, they're able to to get a, you know, to have like a, a couple turrets maybe, or maybe one turret, who knows? And then in the future, they'll get another. So like, there's definitely like all these mini games within Traveler. And I think that's why it has all these different touchstones, right? You can do, you could do the sci-fi adventure, like the golden age sci-fi adventure, explore strange new worlds, you know, fly through the stars, explore, you know, see very interesting fauna and other types of, uh, of, of aliens, um, but you can also have this mini game where you you know trade on the space lanes and and uh, build ships, fix your equipment, um, try to you know, and I think some that appeals to a lot of players, um, at least it appeals at least to two of my players who 
who are getting into this sort of uh, mini game of trading and and you know what skill set do the do we have and what is our ship going to look like? How can we reconfigure it? Um, whereas the other players, you know, and, and we'll see when it comes to gameplay. I, I played with these players, so then they also are going to be well engaged uh, within the game. But what I like is then you know them looking up, you know, because right, it's a it's the Imperium. You know, the conceit is it's a third Imperium, and you have all this access to library data. So players are looking up the library data, given the stipulations, you know. After they don't know obviously what's going to happen in the future, um, the uh, the default for Mongoose Traveler, um, second edition is eleven oh five, the in the year the yeah eleven oh five third imperial year, um, which I don't remember what the CE conversion is. I think it's like fifty six forty seven CE something weird like that, um, but um, so then they can look up library data. They can you know one players like oh this is where we're all from this is where how far it would take to get there so i mean they're really putting out the uh doing some of the background work within the context of the larger background of the traveler um universe which i think is cool and fine for me um and then when they ask and then oh so some variations i will be using i think this is an important is um there is in the Traveler's Companion, um, there is a way to do experience for Traveler. Um, it is slow. It's not as fast as, as in other games, but it does feel like you're rewarded for your gameplay by and being able to improve your character uh, through both training and getting experience through gameplay, which is not a bad thing. And then um, Classic Traveler, there's really no advancement. It was all about getting stuff and, and building your ship and, and you know, just playing in the verse. But uh, characters like advancement, and I think it's a good compromise. And it's in it's in the an official book. It's not some sort of made up splatty thing. So it's it's there as an optional rule, which is fine. Um, what else is there? I trying to think what else. Okay, um, so I do have the initial adventure. I have a couple of adventures planned, depending on where they go. But that's what I think was cool. Is like it depends where they go. Um, the players can go in different directions and explore different things. I will give them hooks, but they don't have to take them. They'll meet patrons because there is a like a random encounter table for that. Um, the players have contacts, allies, enemies that can crop up uh, based on what they roll through during their character creation. So I can throw those in uh, willy nilly or you know here and there to kind of make that that universe feel real for them. And, uh, and we'll see where this takes us. I have run Traveler before. I, let me see. I ran a, I ran a, I ran a Marches campaign where the main character had a yacht. And it's very interesting. I just noticed, because we played Mega Traveler in the Mega Traveler era, um, which is about 10 years in the future from where we're playing in this campaign. But uh, he had a, a Jump 4 yacht. So I noticed that the standard yacht now is not jump four, but the, this they it was a pretty good running campaign. They had a really good crew. Um, they, we had quite a few adventures in the marches. I think I started tried to run the traveler classic adventure, the traveler adventure, but it got stalled somewhere along the way. But it got stalled about three quarters of the way through, which is not bad. I did run a one shot uh, taking place on Capital, which I thought was really cool because. You know, one of the cool things, you always want to get better equipment in Traveler. 
and there's like battle dress and plasma rifles and then this one shot um yeah we had battle dress and, and uh, plasma rifles and it was really fun we had a good time um i was i had planned a campaign for it but uh, i think i think the one shot such that they were able to get off planet and have a direction was the uh, the goal of that particular adventure i tried to run um Traveler T20 campaign, and I ran a few adventures, a few you know adventures, and that didn't go very far. So a lot of so I've been really wanting to run, you know, a traveler adventure for a long time, or a traveler campaign for a long time. And I think I got a good group. I hope they stay engaged. I hope I'm able to provide them with uh, the fun and adventure in a traveler. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, yeah, I'll just make this the outro as well so um intro and outro music is by tj drennan my wife amy lee does the clip cover art you can reach me if you want to comment about traveler hey tell me about your traveler campaign experiences have you ever played have you wanted to play um i definitely want to give a shout out to shay webster who ran a GURPS traveler um earlier this year maybe it was like a year man was it a year ago like around christmas time last year ran a traveler adventure and i couldn't participate when he uh, kind of finished the little mini uh adventure that he had uh, which is a bummer but he definitely has inspired me to get back and reading about traveler i guess it's taken about a year to get it going so thanks uh shay webster um and then Right, so to contact me, tell me about your traveler experience and your adventures. You can leave me a message on the Anchor website. You can leave me a message through SpeakPipe. You can record a message and drop it to me at geomologist at gmail.com or leave it as a DM um, through Discord. So um, yeah, so thank you all for listening. I'm hoping to tell you many tales of our heroes and heroics in Traveler in the future, and I will talk to you all soon.